doctrines of Christ. This is a continued study through Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. Um, it, this is, these are these are actually his notes uh, that I'm kind of regurgitating back to you. So uh, I am not uh, that smart that I can come with my own. But I think it's important for us to to think through and uh, important for us to understand some of these things. Probably most of these things are, are maybe not new to you, but they should be. Uh, Again, as, as I prayed, it should be something that we should praise God more for and be reminded of how, how awesome God is. Uh, when we start thinking about um, maybe the people that we love, uh, you can say, yeah, I love my wife, I love my kids, but as you start thinking about the good things that they do specifically, it maybe may cause you more to love them more. And that's what our goal is today, is to, to love God more, to love Christ more, be reminded of the great things that he's done for us. We have been, we talked through the person of Christ over the last uh, four or five weeks, um, specifically his humanity and the deity of Christ. Uh, so now we're transitioning into uh, kind of a meteor topic. It's the atonement of Christ, the atonement of Christ. And we're going to just focus on the first three points today, next week. Uh, I'll finish up with the extent of the, of the atonement, but today we're going to be on talking through the cause and the necessity and the nature of the atonement. But before we get started, maybe it's probably good to define that big theological word. Um, there's a couple people that I've quoted here, Wayne Grudem, the, the author of the book that I'm, that I'm going through, the reviewing with you guys. He says the atonement is the work Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. It's a very concise statement. I love that, how he says it. John Piper says, the atonement is the work of God in Christ on the cross in which he completed the work of his perfectly righteous life, canceled the debt of our sin, appeased his holy wrath against us, and won for us all the benefits of salvation. The death of Christ was necessity uh, necessary because God would not show a just regard for his glory if he swept sin under the rug with no rep, re, recompense. That's the point of Romans 3, 25 to 26 that we know and probably are familiar with. Much more uh, thought out and really um, not as precise as Wayne's, but I think it's a good definition. Probably a more easier definition. David Platt says this word atonement is an important theological word. Uh, picture it as at one moment. That's the word, that was the word means, what the concept represents. This is how God's people are made one with him, reconciled to a relationship with him. So that's the definition of atonement. So when we're talking about atonement, we're talking about what Christ did on the cross and how it appeased a, a righteous God because uh, we were sinful people. So what's the cause of atonement? Um, What's the ultimate reason, the cause that led Christ to come to earth and, and to die for our sin? Maybe you've thought of that, maybe you haven't. Scripture says that it's love and, and justice of God, both being the same, that caused Christ to come to earth. It was driven by love, God's love for us, and God's justice, ultimately God's divine plan to rescue us from sin. That is the purpose for the atonement. 
So let's look at a couple passages of Scripture that point us to those both points, love and justice that is the cause. I'm sure you're all familiar with that passage in John 3.16, is God loved us. God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son. So God, the cause for atonement was his love. And then we see the second point, as I mentioned, is the justice of God. God was justice, and the penalty for sin was death. And thankfully, God sent his son to be that payment, that atonement for us. Without that, we would be cursed and damned to hell forever. So to answer the question that I just had asked, what was the cause of the atonement? Based on Scripture, we could say the cause or the reason for atonement was both love and justice. And, and some people try to argue or have debated what is more important, and I don't think there is a reason. We don't need to debate the two. The cause for atonement was God loved us, and God had to do it because he was, justice and, he was just and righteous. So what is the necessity of the atonement? What's the necessity what is, was it even necessary for God to save any people at all? In Second Peter, uh, we see that, that Peter is telling us that God didn't spare the angels. So when the angels sinned, what happened? Not all the angels. When, when uh, Lucifer came and got his quorum of, of angels and tried to defeat God, what, what happened? He God kicked him out of heaven, and he did not provide a, a, an atonement sacrifice for those angels. I think the point that, that, that we're trying to make here in Second Peter is that the, the atonement of Christ was not absolutely necessary. It was the mercy and the grace of God that he sent Jesus Christ for us. So it was not necessary. It was the mercy and the grace of God. Secondly, there is no other way for God to save people except through the death of his son. It had to be a perfect sacrifice, and Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. He was perfect in every way. He did not sin. He gave of, of himself. He was obedient to his father, his heavenly father, and he came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and was raised three days later from the grave. So there's no other way. There, the necessity is that God didn't have to save his people, and then there is no other way. And, and you can see in Matthew, in, in the Garden of the Gethsemane, Matthew records for this, this prayer that, that Jesus was having with his father, and he's asking, he says, Father, if this cup could be taken away please let it be. But what's interesting to me, I love the way that Jesus responds. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. He's submitting himself to his father and he knows clearly what's going to happen because he is the Messiah. He is God. He knows that there is much pain to be ahead of him. And we'll talk about that pain, not just physical pain. But Christ knew that if he was going to complete the work of his father, if he was going to be the redeemer 
that it was absolutely necessary for Christ to die on the cross. And God the Father couldn't or wouldn't let it cup, this cup pass, even though he was begging his Father for that. He says, my Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. That is not to be taken lightly. Jesus, Jesus, his human flesh, knew the pain that he was going to be going through. Fourth is the death on the cross proved that Christ was righteous. God had to send Christ to, to save his people. God was righteous and so was Christ because God is Jesus and Jesus is God. So the death on the cross proved Christ paid for the penalty of sin. It proved he was the righteous one. And, and as we read in, read in Romans, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies who, had, who have faith in Jesus. This was the atoning way, the, the way that we could have a relationship with God. So the death on, cro- on the cross proved Christ was righteous. Fifthly, Jesus understood God's plan for redemption was death. He understood his purpose. He understood the necessity for suffering, which led ultimately to death. And God's plan for redemption was through the death of the Messiah, as we read in Luke. Christ had to suffer. We read in, in, in Luke that Jesus understood that he was the Messiah, of course, and he understood that he had to suffer. And then we can see in Hebrews the same thing. The writer of Hebrews says the Messiah had to be fully human in every way. Jesus was our high priest. He was in service, so obedient to God. Jesus had to suffer and to die to make the right relationship that was broken because of our sin. Not because of his, because of our sin. He had to suffer. And only the blood of Christ could save us. Again, in Hebrews, before Christ came to die, you, you know this, I'm sure you know this, um, there were goats and lambs and other sacrifices that, that uh, were meant to appease an angry God for the sins that the people had. But those sacrifices had to happen over and over and over again. It didn't just happen once. Those deaths, those slaughterings of the lamb and the goats, they were reoccurring. They repeated Christ's death because he was the Messiah, because he was perfect in every way, the Son of God. He only needed to die once, and that was enough to appease a holy God. So if I were to conclude this whole section in the necessity of, of the atonement, I would say this, is was it necessary for God to save any of his people? No, it wasn't necessary, but yes, it had to happen. There was no other way for God to save his people from their sins apart from the death of Christ to die in their place. There was no other way. It didn't happen with Adam. Adam Adam and Eve had an opportunity, but they did it. They failed. They were faced with sin's temptation, and they failed. Christ was faced with sin's temptation, and he he, uh, succeeded. He did not fail because he was the Messiah. 
So what is the nature of the atonement? Let's talk about that, and we'll finish in this section here. The nature of atonement, we'll specifically talk about his obedience and his suffering, Christ's obedience and suffering, and these are two specific aspects of Christ's work. These are important aspects. Number one, I mentioned that his obedience is important. That is important because Christ had to live a perfect life. And it included being obedient in every way, not only being obedient coming to this earth, but obedient living out his life, his entire life. Paul says that, that the righteousness of Christ was credited to him, but not Paul's work, but Christ. So Christ's righteousness was credited to Paul, not because of Paul, but because of Christ. The death of Christ not only removed our sins, which is great, right? We have to, we have to understand that when Christ died on the cross, all of our sins were placed upon him and they were forgiven. But much greater than that, our righteousness were placed upon, or Christ's righteousness was placed upon us. So we were credited Christ's righteousness. When God sees us, he sees Christ. Those, the one who he has chosen, I'm talking about believers, I'm talking about followers of Christ. When Christ, when God sees us, he sees Christ. So we had a negative balance, as some would say, and now we were added a positive balance, and that positive balance is, is an amazing thing. It's Christ's righteousness. Secondly, he, he made, has made our, righteous, made our righteousness. Christ made his righteousness our own, the one to many. First Corinthians says, it is because of him, Jesus Christ, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It should mean that we are working towards being like Christ. But again, it's a, it's a state. When God looks at us, he sees Christ. The comparison that, uh, that Paul makes here in Romans is that Adam was the first man to sin, Right? Again, he was faced with temptation, and what did he do? He failed. And because of that one sin, and you may say, that's not fair, I don't understand why that happened. I, I wouldn't have made that decision. I would say, yes, you would have, and you would have done it a thousand times over because you do it all the time right now. Adam, because of that one sin, all of mankind was cursed, and sin, was, and sin entered into the world because he was disobedient. There was, need, there was a great need for one who was fully obedient. Paul says this, Consequently, just as one trespass resulting in condemnation for all people, that's Adam, so also one righteousness act results in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the, men were, the many were made sinners. That's all of us. So also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. One man's disobedience and one man's obedience, that comparison that we see, that's the important thing for us to consider. whose lifelong record of obedience, we would rather re rely on ours for standing before God? That's a question for you. Would you rather us to go to God and say, 
you know, hey, God, I've done all these great things. And there's a lot of religions that believe that, that you can do good and hopefully it will outweigh your bad. But we have to understand that that's not the way that God... God only sees good because of Christ. Our, our sin is great, and we like to belittle it. We like to belittle it. We like to play it down and, and say it's not really that bad. But one sin is enough for us to have a broken relationship with God. Remember, Adam sinned once, and immediately he recognized that he was a sinner. Immediately he recognized that there was a broken relationship with him between him and God. And that's all it takes. I would want to stand before God because of not my own, because of what Christ has done. And thank God for his obedience, Christ's obedience. Without Christ's obedience, we would not be here today. We would not have hope. We would not have joy. But because of Christ's obedience, uh, we can praise him because of what he's done. So we're going to finish up in, in uh, the Christ's suffering and how that is important to the atonement part of it. The suffering in, in temptation, and you may say, well, you know, how is that suffering? Well, Jesus was perfect, right? He was faced with temptation in many ways, and, and the one that this passage talks about in Matthew is the one where he was probably at his lowest physically. He hadn't eaten drank for a very long time, and he was weak. And Satan came to him and, and tried to tempt him, but God, Jesus, uh, persevered. And, and that was suffering. Um, I think it's harder for us to, to abstain from temptation or when you're faced with temptation and you uh, you. It's easy to give in, right? It's easy to give in. Temptation, with your face with temptation, it's easy to give in. Yeah, you might struggle for a little bit, but then you give in, that's easy. But imagine the forces that Jesus had when he was faced with temptations. They were great physically and mentally, but yet he persevered. So there is suffering in temptation. And of course, you know, uh, there's, there is suffering in uh in, in uh, the pain of the cross, you wouldn't probably even argue that. I mean, that is definitely something that's, that's in, important for us. Did I skip a slide here? I did skip a slide. All right. Oops. All right. Suffering and temptation. Sorry. I was like, look at my notes here. Uh, so he suffered through temptation. He suffered uh, through growing and maturing. I mean, Jesus Christ was always was. He was always here. He created the world, but he had to grow as a young boy, as a young man. And there is, there is uh, suffering in the way that he grew. There's, there's suffering in the way that he faced opposition. Imagine all of the people, not just Satan, but all of the people that tried to get him to, to fall. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the leaders of that time, they hated Jesus, and they tried to trip him up all the time. That was, that was a cause for great suffering. Jesus also suffered in an emotional way. He, his, friends, his friend 
died and he wept. Jesus, John eleven thirty five says Jesus wept. So he had emotions. He suffered that way. In Isaiah, before Christ is even born, he predicted, Isaiah, the prophet, predicted that Jesus would be the suffering one. He was, that was part of of who Christ was. He had to suffer for us as part of the atonement. He suffered his whole life. There was great suffering, of course, on the pain of, of the cross. He had to endure not only the cross, but the pain that led him up to that point. Certainly there was great physical pain on the cross, but there was also the, the pain of bearing the weight of the sins of his people. Jesus Christ, who was sinless, the one who had no sin, who knew no sin, those sins were placed upon, our sins were placed upon him. And because of that, there was this abandonment that Christ felt on the cross. God couldn't look on his son because of our sins. He had to forsake his one and only son. That was abandonment. That was great suffering. Suffering that Jesus had never felt and never will feel again. And finally, Christ had to endure the wrath that shouldn't been for him. He had to endure that wrath. The wrath of God was poured on him, on Jesus. It should have been poured on us. The nature of the atonement is important. Christ's suffering is important. Christ's obedience is important. So what does that mean for us today? The atonement of Christ is a, is, it's a very complex theology, but it's crucial, I think, to our understanding. We need to understand first is that we deserve to die and the penalty because of our sin. We deserve to die the penalties for our sin. Secondly, I think we need, to, we need to understand that we deserve to bear God's wrath against us for the sin that we did. The wrath that Jesus felt should have been placed on us, but were it for, not for the death of Christ, and because of Christ, we have life. Also, we're separated from God, and you might say, well, that's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. God made us to worship Him. That, as Jay always says, that hole in our heart will never be satisfied until we really worship God. And because of sin, it's, it's caused a wedge, a great divide between us and Him. And last is that we are in bondage to sin. And that our master before salvation, and if you are not a believer, your master is Satan. Your God is Satan. But praise be to God because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the atoning work of Jesus Christ, we are reconciled and redeemed. And no longer are we in bondage to sin and to Satan? It is not the work of our own. It is the work of Christ and what he did. 
Our boast, as we will sing in the second service, should not be in anything but Jesus. Our boast should be in Jesus. Romans 6, and I will finish with this, is Romans 6, 11 through 14 says, In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been bought or brought for the death to life and to offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is an application for us today as followers of Christ. We need to be reminded that we are alive in Jesus Christ because of Jesus Christ. And Paul says here, not to, reminds us not to let sin reign in our lives. You were bought with a price. We need to live out that life every day. Praise be to God for who he's done, for the atonement sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We'll finish uh, next week this whole section. Um, I'm actually going to speak in the second service, so I, I will finish this extent of the atonement. I was trying to get it all in one, but I, I could not. Um, so I want to make sure there's enough time to specifically talk about the extent of the atonement. So I will finish that next week, Lord willing. And um, so you guys get a uh, uh, kind of a fuller picture, I think, because uh, the people that aren't in the second service or aren't in the first service and the second service will miss out this part. So um, lucky you, I guess. All right, let's pray, and then we will sing uh, Behold the Lamb, um, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you so much for what Christ has done for us. Lord, thank you for the reminder. Uh, Lord, we are... Uh, we need a Savior like yourself, Lord. We are wretched people, uh, Lord. We, we, are, we take uh, the sins that we have, Lord, and we try to justify them, Lord, but we know that um, all sin is uh, enough to, to cause a permanent separation from us. But Father, praise to you and to your Son for the life that he lived the perfect life that he lived, and for, for dying for us on the cross, Lord, and for that perfect payment. And we recognize that because of that, Lord, we can have a relationship with you. Lord, help us to, to live that way. Help us to feel that weightiness, the payment that Christ did, Lord. Help us not to forget it. Help us to be reminded of it today. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.